Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Excited to be in your ear. Thank you for being here. In this podcast, we explore so many different levels from the micro, like how I interact with you, our you know specific relational skills, and then even going further out into the systems that influence us, the things that affect us in relationship that we don't often think about. You know, we think that our relational outcomes are due, they're our fault because something's wrong with us. You know, not realizing that the reason we do anything we do is because on some level, we think it's the best available behavior to us. And so much of our defenses, the things that get in the way in conflict and in all types of relationships, this shows up at work too, in teams, and all the things, they're all designed to protect us from being hurt, to protect us from feeling like we're not enough. You know, and in doing that, though, we often just perpetuate the story and perpetuate the experience. You know, it's like having a reaction that pushes people away and you end up alone. Uh, you know, because we're afraid of ending up alone, we create aloneness. It's, a, it's just so interesting to observe and be able to start to look at these things in a non-judgmental way. So be compassionate with yourself as you explore your story, as you explore the things that you can do better in relationship. We're all human. I have things I'm always working on too and layers that I'm discovering. And it's a beautiful thing about being here is being able to ask these questions, being able to participate in a community that is about self-acceptance, about acceptance of each other and giving each other the space to make mistakes. What a beautiful thing that is to offer. Um, you know, so much of our behavior in relationship and in family and in our, even how we choose to live our lives, what jobs we pick, all those types of things are shaped by the influence, by the desire to fit in, by the desire to be like the people around us. And in doing that, we often forego our own authenticity, our own desires. We might not even know what those are because they're buried below the needs and of other people. And we often don't get to live our fully expressed self because we're afraid of being rejected by the people around us. And on one level, this is evolutionary and on that can be even heightened more so in if you grew up in a family or culture that was extremely judgmental or extremely restrictive, extremely controlling. So we, in order to mitigate or minimize conflict and a lack of safety, we don't rock the boat. I explore that on a more heightened level today with my guest. And before you know, I get into introducing her, I want to remind you that wherever you listen to this, please subscribe, please give it a five-star review and a written review. That's so helpful to get it into more people's ears so we can keep building more and more relational awareness as a community. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating. And that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that, that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say that's too hard to ask or it's too soon to ask that or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. 
And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. My guest today has been in the public spotlight her whole life and judged by the public and experienced a lot of pain, a lot of success in her life. But also, you know, you think about when you're in the public spotlight, everyone's a critic. Everyone's a critic. And we, you know, when people who are famous, like celebrities make mistakes, we often just punish them so much. We forget that there's a human on the other side of um, the the anger because they're now human and not these gods that we put them up to be. And there's something good for the person who is triggered by the behavior of someone we pedestal to remind, to remind that person that everyone is human. And when we place someone on a pedestal, we also say we're not like them. So it removes the opportunity to become like people we admire. And on the other side, it also doesn't allow them the space to be human. And we all are so worthy of that space. So I'm so excited to share with you this wonderful interview that I did with Leanne Rhymes. So without further ado, here is this beautiful talk and chat. Thank you for being here. I'm curious. And when you look back now mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I was on stages at five. Was that like born from within you? Or was that all like, was that something you were told you were always going to do? Because you obviously have a very natural talent at it. If it started at five, I mean, I still can't sing. So that never <laughs> could develop. But I'm curious, is that like you were led to it and you loved it? Yeah, my my parents played music a lot in the house. My dad played guitar a little bit. And my dad has tapes of me singing when I was 18 months old. Like, like you could. Wow you could understand what I was singing or saying when I was singing it. But when I started talking, it was just, you had no idea. It was just gibberish. So it literally was, it was born into me. I just loved music and being with two parents who um, had very different styles of music that they love. My dad loved classic rock and country and my mom loved, um, my mom loved Motown and, and blues. And so 
and then my godmother um, kind of raised me on classical and Broadway. So like I had a really wow. large array of music that's always surrounded me. But I think it was a bit of both. I think it was, I think I loved, it was just in me, in my soul that I loved music. But I also think as I got older, uh, or in, uh, older as in like five, <laughs> as I got older, I was on stage and I saw that people, I could all, I could all of a sudden understand, like, because I do this, I receive love. I think that was another piece of it is like, you know, um, it was a way to, it was also a way to express myself. Um, I grew up in a, in a family. We, I grew up in Mississippi till I was six and then moved to Dallas, but my dad was, my mom and dad had a really interesting relationship. There was a lot of anger in the house, a lot of screaming. And my mom was sad. My dad was angry. And it was a way that I could have them focus on me. It was, a, it was I mean, like so mm-hmm. many, so many layers of things. Like so um, that it would dissolve or like not have them focus on their own disconnection, their own, correct. like the conflict yeah. when they would fight. Yeah, absolutely. It was a way wow. to, I mean, I'm an only child. My mom, they tried for 12 years to have me. She was told she couldn't have kids. So I'm like her miracle child. So there's like, there's so much, so many things layered it's like there. Pressure, uh, <laughs> distraction, uh, totally. r- rewarding, you know, yeah. getting love for it. Yeah, and, totally. Wow. And then this, and then underneath that is the true essence of the fact that I just really love music. And it's a way that I loved creating and, and just, that was the way that I knew how to express. And it's been interesting, this kind of full circle of things of now having a career for, you know, whatever, however many years now, 25 years or so, I'm in this business almost. Um, it, now it's coming back to the true essence of of that, that I do love this, that it's, you know, getting under the layers of it's a job and people, I have to care what people think and like all the things back down to my, you know, why am I? why do I love this so much and where and really getting into the the essence of my true heart of where it comes from. So yeah, it's definitely come full circle. At what point in your, um, in your childhood and your career, did it start to feel like a job and, and less of a passion? Um, probably around, gosh, I would say like probably around 16. I had, I did, I think I performed over 500 concerts in like three and a half years from the time I was 13. So somewhere like I wasn't, I don't even know what I was doing at 13, but I, I mean, the (laughs) fact that you had already been on stage at five, I feel like in kindergarten, I remember getting my mom to wipe my butt once. So, you know, (laughs) like here you are like singing on stage. I'm still moderately functional and you're so (laughs) independent in some ways. and like such an adult, um, did you get to yeah. have a childhood? Like no, no. Um, I mean, I did. I did at times. I did when I was when we lived in Mississippi before we moved to Texas. I was I pretty much had a normalish China childhood. I mean, I, I, you know, I loved animals. I loved like being out in the dirt and nature and like I was a kid. Um, but then you know, once I really started, once we moved to Texas, I started singing. I guess around the time I was seven at a show every Saturday night. And I, it was basically like a weekly job. Like I would learn a new song. I mean, I'm a human jukebox, honestly. Like I <laughs> at least know a chorus to pretty much every song known to man. Um, but it, it, uh, it became kind of a, a steady-ish job then. I mean, I, I made 125 bucks a week from the time I was seven. 
Like I bought my own clothing. Like I, it was, it was now, you know, now that I, I talk about this, like I was very independent. And at the same time, I think that's been this weird, weird place for me in my life of where I've been so independent and at the same time, so codependent, which is something I've worked through and still working through, um, you know, and yeah, that's an ongoing week. unlayering. Isn't yeah. It? For like, sure. Same. I speak. I feel like this might be a good <laughs> codependent recovery podcast. But yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it, by the time I was 16 and I had done that much work and I was so exhausted, I mean, yeah, I was exhausted. My parents got divorced when I was 14. Oh, yeah. So there was this weird energy there. Um, me trying to completely run away from all of that pain through working and God knows that's been a pattern. That's been a pattern up until this, until, until COVID. Thank you, COVID. Um, <laughs> I've finally sat still for just a few, you know, a few weeks at a time. Usually, I mean, I'll let myself have allowed like maybe three or four weeks to have some time off, but never, never to this, to this extent. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting. This whole time has been really interesting for me because it's the first time I've truly stopped. Yeah, it's interesting for me. It's um, it felt like I've been going in a car at like a hundred miles per hour, and then all of a sudden I didn't get it. I didn't stop the car myself. The you know the universe sort of slowed. I mean, right. obviously we all you got down. thrown out. <laughs> yeah, I got thrown out, and I noticed that when I'm in that like hustle, 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 chase, 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 whether it's for love or it's for work or whatever it is, that that in that space that's currently been cultivated for a lot of for a lot of us. Um, is is that the world moves actually a lot slower. I find like when I got out of that busyness, I recognized that time actually moves a lot slower than I ever really thought when you're just in presence, when you, when you aren't running to like, what's the to-do list? How am I not enough today? What do I need to do to validate or dance for a conversation or, or um, you know, social media? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've often thought that um, the reason that people, when they become famous, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, they trade their anonymity for compensation. Like, mm-hmm. like when was the last time that you could go out and 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 have you ever, other than before you were seven, been able to go out and just go out? No. And someone not project their shit onto you or like, right. come want to get a picture while you're trying to enjoy your appetizer, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, that is very true. It's interesting you mentioned projection because I've never, uh, boy, have I learned about projection being in the public eye. Um, that's Oof. been very, very interesting. Yeah. And ever since, you know, having it start so young, I haven't known, talk about not knowing yourself. I had to learn what projection was the hard way and then start sifting through, oh, like, what if my, I mean, this, like I said, still an ongoing process. What if, what if my family projects onto me? I mean, down to like, do I really want to do this? Did I really want to sing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I've had to really kind of sift through all of that um, to find me. And yeah, that's been, it, it's been a journey and it's still, um, it's still an ongoing journey. Well, I'd imagine that so many years of, uh, the projection, the expectations of other people, as you said, right. the managing and uh, 
distracting your parents from their conflict and then, you know, wanting to not be part of those experiences. But that that continued like taking on everyone else's who is Leanne Rhymes, you know, and mm-hmm. oh, I don't like this version of Leanne Rhymes. Oh, I like right. this one. And you're like, fuck right. you, you know. By the way, this is an explicit <laughs> podcast that you're allowed to swear. That's okay. Yes, um, I've listened many times. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's, I finally started. I had to, I had to get to my fuck you. Yeah. Like I had to finally access my fuck you. What did um, it take else, though? Cause I'd imagine you've taken some serious grenades uh, oh, before you got to be yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like, Cause no one really thinks about the human on the other side of what they might right. perceive as a brand or the person that sings for them. Cause that's the narcissistic lens by which we see music, musicians and celebrities is we, right. We are, we idolize them. And then when they become human, we are disappointed in them and we want to cancel them. And we're like, do you, I can't even imagine. I mean, I get a small taste sometimes of like projected expectations on me, mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't even imagine carrying that type of thing at seven. I'm sensitive and I also am, I, I don't like people not liking me. So that makes my job kind of hard when I say things that are <laughs> offside or whatever. Um, so I have to learn that because that's codependence and that's needing other people to like me, which you can't do anything really truly transformative and everyone like you. No, no. And that, and I'm just, I'm just now starting to learn how to really access that. Um, so I'm also learning how to access my anger um, where it doesn't just fly out of my mouth and um, in complete <laughs> rage and it didn't ruin everything, but like to where it, it's justified and it's, it's a real emotion and that it's, you know, something that needs to be expressed and something that can, can uh, move me towards change. And, and so, yeah, that's a whole new thing for me. Like this is a really actually what I've been experiencing um, during this time is learning really how to access that anger and, and boundaries and, and really, I mean, I've, I've definitely intellectualized all of this. It's now like all of a sudden I'm putting it into play and it's, it yeah. is transformative. And that, that fuck you, um, it's still, it's, it takes a lot still for me to access that. But um, I think that, God, it's, um, yeah, the more, the more I come into my own alignment with my own true self, like, it just becomes that fuck you becomes a lot more accessible. And in a way that's not like, like I said, in a way that's not this rageful, like fuck you, but in a way that it's like, I just, just knowing who I am, I access a truer piece of me. And if you don't like it, like this version staying around, like this version of Leanne. (laughs) Yeah. This version of Leanne staying around. It's not like, you know, I'm not jumping from one version to the other trying to please people. And I think when I can, when I've really anchored in to a truer version of, of me, of just Leanne, not Leanne Rhymes, but Leanne, yeah. um, that's when, you know, that, that fuck you is a lot more accessible. Well, yeah. And, and you add in the layers of being a female, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> the patriarchy, you add in all on top of your experience for work. And, you know, I think like when, before now that there's this more i guess based on what you're saying this more authentic alignment between who you are in public and who you get to be now i just think that there must uh have been just having heard on i i i told you before we started recording that 
I don't like to do too much knowledge digging because then I don't ever want to unconsciously bias myself. Right. And I have followed your work sort of loosely throughout my life because, you know, I grew up watching that movie and then getting to know who you were yeah. from Coyote Ugly. And um, I, I would wonder, like with so many like media breaking your trust and just that amount of um, I can't even imagine what it's like to be like, who can you actually trust? Because in your experience, have you been burned by all the people you thought you could trust or a lot of them? Yeah. Um, in the past, absolutely. And it's funny, I actually have it tattooed on my wrist. It's one of my first tattoos that I ever got was trust. And it was mm. because I, I knew it in my heart that I needed it more than anything in my life like that. And that was going to be a long journey for me because between my, my parents, you know, my dad and I went, my dad was my manager. We went through a lawsuit at the time I was 16. Um, you know, my parents got divorced, like, um, you know, every body that I'd worked with at some point, I sued my record label at one point. Like, I mean, it was just like everybody that I could possibly, that was around me at the time. Um, yeah, uh, definitely. I, I definitely couldn't trust, um, and didn't, didn't feel safe. Like that safety for me has been like something I've not known until probably the last seven years, I guess. And that's wow. been, a lot of work on my own, you know, coming back, to trusting myself and trusting my own intuition and trusting those around me. Uh, you know, there's always been, my husband and I've been married now for, um, for nine years, actually, mm -hmm. just recently. And we, um, you know, we went through a very public affair. We were both married, got together, got married. Um, and through that, through those years, um, you know, he honestly has been, my first sense of trust, my first real level of like true trust and safety. And there, but though there's always, there's always been like a 10% piece of me that will just like want to pull out of, of any relationship going, Oh, I, I, you know, knowing that how, um, how deeply I've been hurt before and not wanting mm -hmm. to feel that pain again. And, um, it's a, it's a new thing for me to fully step into that trust. And even after, you know, now we've been together, like I said, nine, nine years, and I finally feel like I'm stepping into that fully. And it's beautiful because the access, the, the love, that 10% that I was holding back is now this extra 10% of love that like I can fully access with him. And mm -hmm. so I'm learning also how to, how to hold myself within the pain. And so being able to do that has also allowed me to step fully into trust because I know I'm not going to dissolve and disintegrate like I have in the past or felt like I have in the past. Um, and also knowing that those pieces of me that, that do need to dissolve and disintegrate within the pain will, and there's a rest, the rest of me will stay. So, I mean, for me, it's just been, it, it has really been life lessons of learning how to, um, like I said, hold myself within everything and trust myself again. So, I mean, that, that distrust when, when everyone in your life feels like, you know, you can't trust them, that distrust mm -hmm. starts to all of a sudden you start to turn that back around yourself. And then that distrust starts to run super, super deep. Yeah. When people tell you that they know better than you, that, yes. you know, and you, I think I would imagine that your relationship to healthy, clean anger is correlated to trust is that have you found that that as you get to know your no and get to know your fuck this and get to know those parts of you that that 
you feel safer to, as you said, that 10% starts to, and that 10% to me sounds like also a deeper breath and a, mm-hmm. um, an ability for you not to be vigilant. Yes. Hypervigilance is, yes. Yeah. Um, I, it's been a blessing and a curse all at the same time. Um, you know, I'm super, hyper, I'm hypervigilant. I'm super sensitive. Like I can feel into things so easily. I'm very aware. Um, and at the same time, it causes tons of anxiety and, um, you know, I mean, it's, and it, it can be such a beautiful gift. And then also, um, something that, yeah, I've had to, in my body, like I've had to come back, I've had to come back down into myself and learn to like actually physically relax. And God, that's like multi-layered, like so multi-layered. Like once I, I feel like I've, I've done my work there. It's like, Oh, I start to feel new pains start to come up and <laughs> physically like, mm. Oh, I have to let, let go a little bit more. So yeah, no, it's definitely a full on. The physical experience for me is really interesting when it comes to that. Cause I, um, you know, I've walked around my whole life, just uh, one ball of like tightness and, and nerves because of that hypervigilance and always caring about and having to, having to read a room of tons of people, Wow! you know, yes. so many times, I mean, even being on stage, I remember being on stage at one point, especially in the height of, on the height of everything that my, you know, my husband and I went through so publicly, I would be on stage singing and looking at um, looking at people, you know, and reading their faces and thinking to myself, like, oh my God, these people hate me. Wow. Even though they're sitting here, they bought a ticket to come see the show. Like in my mind, I thought everyone, I thought everyone hated me. And so That's even shame. those people in the audience, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's total, just deep, deep shame. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Amazing no, what it does to our lens of the world. Oh, yeah. And how we believe people see us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, my yeah it's that shame in me totally turned my view I, I basically projected my view of myself at the time onto the whole world was it interesting and it, it wasn't how- like it wasn't there too i mean there was definitely some of that definitely coming back at me but yeah um, oh my gosh the media i couldn't even yeah. imagine because you know you think like infidelity and betrayal like the concept of betrayal mm-hmm. is like everyone's uh greatest nightmare in right. that uh when they see it, they, they automatically, um, vilify Mm -hmm. anyone who has that experience, which, um, you know, I, I know when I used to work with couples, the first thing I'd always say when there was infidelity, is like, you're not the villain. Like we have to let go of that experience because we can't even play on the same level of repair or even if they're moving into a future relationship or anything, because the shame we take on in any time we, learn that a behavior was unhealthy or didn't work out or, but sometimes, you know, infidelity is one of the ways in which people escape uh, things because they believe it's the only way they can. Like society will expect my relationship to dissolve if I do this, but if I get divorced by choice, I'll be vilified anyways. You know, it becomes this catch 22 (laughs) that you're a failure if you choose yourself and decide that a relationship is no longer for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it is a catch 22, very much so. And, you know, I was so young. I mean, I got married, my first husband and I were married when I was 19. Like wow. I did everything young. Yeah, so young. So I, you know, we were married almost eight years. And I really, I mean, I've said this so many times and people look at me like, huh? And this, I think we all think that we just know 
in those moments, we'll never choose that. You know, we're, we're supposed to know better. And, you know, I didn't have the tools to get out of a relationship in any other way. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know there was so much codependency there. I mean, I, you know, but it was my parents and then my husband, my ex-husband. And so, you know, really the first night, first real night I ever spent alone was in, was in, um, when I checked myself into a, a treatment center at 30. Wow. For what so, type of addiction? For anxiety and depression. I was so deep in it. Wow. Yeah. I was wow. so deep in shame and, and, yeah. and trauma, past trauma that I've worked, tried to work my way away from my whole life. Um, that finally I, I needed, I needed help. Um, and that was really the first night I had spent alone. Since you So were like, yeah, ever. I was born. Wow. <laughs> So, in utero you know, was the last time you had some right. sense of peace. Totally. Right. Totally. <laughs> Welcome to and, COVID in utero. Too. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I mean, it really does. Um, it must be nice, though, for you to like, I mean, not the actual treatment center, but for you to actually finally be able to breathe because you were sort of like in a space where no one had access to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely was the beginning. Yeah, it was the beginning of the unraveling for me in the undoing. And that was only, that was only the very beginning. I felt like it, it, you know, that definitely did help. Um, and then a couple, I guess it was about a year and a half after that. Um, I found breath work and that. Oh, breath work. Isn't it magic? It really is. Um, it opened my, I mean, it allowed me to like find myself like the real self. Yeah. Um, Buried between below everyone's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it quieted, it allowed my mind to quiet. It allowed me to like, all of a sudden I started traveling down this path that I, um, yeah, that just opened me up to, to myself and to something much greater than me. And yeah, breathwork honestly was, was key to, it was key to diving into all of the pain and allowing it to move through my physical body. Yeah, it was, it's definitely, that was, that was really what started my transformation, I believe. What did, um, like when you were going through all like your childhood, when you were going through your parents' divorce, and then as you go through, I mean, I can't believe you got married at 19, of course, right? Like when we get married at 19, we're making decisions from the brain of a 19 year old. And we, right. we're just following the script that society really has given us at that point. Yeah, um, for sure. But I'm curious, what was it that that like you desperately wanted to say to everybody? Like, was there a sentence or like a core thing that you just wish people could hear from you as you were going through these? Because, you know, it's almost like no one could see you struggle. Like you had right. to hold everything together throughout this till you had no choice, but but to not. So I'm curious, what is it that like one thing that you're like, ah. Oh, God. I mean, the first thing that comes up for me is I'm human, too. Yeah. I mean, you said it earlier, like, like, I'm human, too. Um, You know, when you start so young and people put you up on a pedestal, I mean, like, as we do all of our, you know, quote unquote celebrities, um, you like you said, we, we forget that they're human. And I do believe, which is so wonderful. And I feel like I, as a, as a public figure, am trying to bring this more into the world of the humanity of it all. And I do believe we're finally starting to allow that in without vilifying it. You know, I mean, I mean, 
really, we've, my humanity was vilified, you know, in so many yeah. ways, not just the, not just the infidelity, but the, the humanity. And Used against at least that's you, what yeah. I felt. Yeah. Weaponized, weaponized in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, very much so. So, um, and, then, and then you're expected to hold it and deal with it and right. deal with trolls and like, which is really um, emotional abuse, especially the media when they don't take responsibility for their inaccuracies. I mean, they're really, I'm sure there is some sort of libel that is possible, but at the same time, it seems to be hard yeah. to hold them accountable to, it's almost like they would rather sell. I mean, this is true of all news. So I, right. I'm just yeah. reaffirming what everyone knows that they'd rather sell stories than consider the people they're selling the stories about. Oh yeah. And the impact. Yeah. You become characters, fictional characters almost in a story and, and not human. And yeah, they, I remember I was just, I was just doing an interview with a very popular magazine the other day. Um, and they asked me about, you know, what, what was this that like drove you into treatment? And I said, well, to be really honest you, I mean, I mean, honestly, right. yeah. I said not, that to be, not to be rude, but like. That's not rude to tell them that, Fuck that right? Like <laughs> yeah, you, not. you're actually the reason. Write that, please. <laughs> of course they didn't write that. But. Um, oh, that no. part they must have missed. They just yes, skipped they, over the part where they're responsible. Total, right. Well, yeah. I mean, that, and that's, that's the, it's interesting part now coming back into things. Cause I feel like I kind of stepped out of it for a moment of just to give myself a breather and doing interviews these days and stepping back into it with people I'm very aware of. I'm very aware of what they're capable of. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's scary. And at the same time, like I said, you know, I'm an open book and the truth of, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the truth. It was partly uh, you guys were involved. So, um, you know, I'm trying to, I, I, as I step into more of myself, um, you know, it's a, it's a fine line and a, and a dance of being able to be as honest and open and authentic as possible. And also being fully aware of like, what will, what will be used against me? <laughs> what will be a headline, you know? So um, little and five words will they pick? That, right. Which that just feels like you're dating an abuser, you know, like in a lot of ways, <laughs> exactly. right. You know, it's a, yeah. I don't think people understand that because it, I mean, often people don't understand that, you know, they don't realize that, um, you know, they might be like, well, it must be really hard. You're famous. You know, like there's no right. compassion for your experience. No. And I, I do, like I said, I think we are coming into a world where that is, is starting to happen, um, where we are starting to all see our shared humanity. And um, and that's, that's why I am so honest and, and open is because I I want that to be a part of I want, I want to bring myself to the table. <laughs> like, I don't want there to be so much fragmentation between who Leanne Rhymes is and who I am. And that has been my journey is coming back into wholeness, you know, as a fully mm. whole human and also being able to um, share my gift with the world. It's not separate. And that's so important to me. Like that is my most important piece of life is, is being able to, I can't step into the world and share my gift if I'm not fully there anymore. I mean, that's just, it's, it's too not painful. an option. Yeah. It's too painful. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, I learned through, um, when Kylie and I broke up, I learned in that moment that I had been living, you know, quite a wide open life, quite a transparent life. 
Um, and I still do, but I really learned in that time that there was a difference between transparency and privacy, that there was a line, that there was a line where I had the right to my own processing and my own thing and other people hadn't earned the right to all the information. And people were quite respectful of that, um, but it was something I had to learn. And what you're saying makes me think of, there's this really beautiful line from a lecture from Ram Das, where he says, I hope that I live with the integrity that the truths that live within me are expressed and manifest in the truths that live outside of me. And he said, whenever those two things don't align, every message I give is a mixed message, one of fear and one of love. And I thought about that just like, right, like those are the yeah. kind of words that I think we all wish and hope to be in relationship, to be in experience where um, we are undoing the things we're taught what is and is not us, because of course we're taught things that are great. Um, but then where we're safe to finally be like, this is me. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one who determines whether I feel rejected. But right. sure as hell will people try. And it's hard, you know, and of course we're human. So the experience of another human hating us or being divisive or critical, um, which are sometimes valid, uh, is hard. It's hard to hold those things, especially if um, you don't have any way to engage back with them personally. You know? Right. Well, and if you do, then that's only fuel for the fire, especially when it's, you know, public. It's like, if I, if yeah. I, if I respond, then especially if I react, <laughs> even if I respond in a way that feels, you know, um, truthful, uh, those can, that can easily just be, it's just another week to their story and it just continues on. So sometimes yeah. like the best thing to do is just be quiet and then, how do I deal with that personally? Because then I feel like I haven't had a say in things and I haven't had, you know, it's just like, woo, it's a lot, but it's, it's interesting. Cause I, when I, I read one of your uh, newsletters about that exact thing you just spoke of, of, you know, someone hasn't earned the right to hear. And I, my first thought was, and how does that apply to me? For you? How does that apply to the situation? Um, you know, it's my own situation and yeah, it is, it is a fine line. It's something I'm, I'm still learning as I step back into this world, as I step into this world with more authenticity, it is a line that I'm, that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am learning how to dance that dance and I don't know all the answers yet and who knows <laughs> if I ever will, but, um, I do know if I keep showing up in love and in truth. That, that is that is honoring myself. I mean, I'm I'm just not willing to I'm not willing to abandon myself anymore. Hell yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that about the line because I it's one that I learned too, which is if I share something and I'm left feeling anxious, uh anxious maybe is the wrong word because of course vulnerability does often mm -hmm. incite anxiety because in the vulnerability is the fear, will you accept and approve of my vulnerability? Right not recognizing that you can learn to hold your capacity for, for healthy levels of anxiety. And I think for me, it is that, that continued learning, like have they earned the right to my story? Yeah. And we get to decide what is transparency and what's privacy. And mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to for you, other people have decided what is transparency and privacy. And I mean, I couldn't imagine being in a space, uh, although I suppose I live in it now, um, where anger is not safe for you because if you say something, you respond in anger, which is a healthy response to some of the shit that you've experienced. Right. <laughs> uh, 
you're then called too much, uh, defensive, uh, like all the things that we call people when they get angry, but especially women, but especially it's like magnified times a million for you because right. all of a sudden it's on the fucking cover of in touch magazine or something. And you're like, Oh yeah. Not to pick on in. I don't even know if in touch is still around, but I'm guessing they are. I think they are. Yeah. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> did they, did they ever go away? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so now yeah, I you, or sorry, go on. No, go ahead. No, please. No, the, the, um, yeah, the anger piece is definitely, you know, I read, I, it doesn't get to me very often anymore because I do know how much projection is in it. And I do know people are selling magazines and I do know that like, you know, rationally, I know that, you know, people pick this up, you know, easily when they're going to the bathroom and reading through a magazine, whatever it may be. It's just, it's like, it's not like people truly take this in fully unless the story like mine carried out for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden it becomes a story that people are like entrenched in, you know, and uh, you know, usually it's just a weekly thing and people don't think too much of it. Um, I know rationally all of these things, but it still can, you know, people, people's passive aggressiveness, you know, um, and projections online, like, you know, and whatever can still get to me every once in a while, but it's, I, I talk it out with my friends. I let it go. Like I've learned the healthier ways than to like immediately like hit back at someone. And if I do, I mean, if I do comments or something, it's really, I try to think it through as much as I can. Um, but there's, there is a level, like I can, I can get triggered by something. There's a level of anger that I really have learned. I can't, I can't push down. Like I have to go let this out mm-hmm. somewhere. Boxing or something. God, yeah, boxing, talking to a friend, like, uh, I love boxing, by the way, boxing is awesome. Me too, um, such a great processing way for, yes. like, any form of rage, any form of anger. So fun. Um, I, what's been really interesting for me around anger is, you know, I was, when I was little, I wanted to be a cheerleader, and I was taken to the doctor, and the doctor, voice doctor told me, like, if you want to have your voice, you can't scream. So there's this interesting what? piece, this oh, layer wow. what of- a message. I haven't been able to scream my whole life. And if I do, like I start freaking out and all of a sudden I'll get hoarse. And it's just, I mean, it's more mental than it is actually physical. Yeah. Um, and so recently I've been, uh, I've been trying to access that as much as possible, especially while I've been off and like, Oh, if I lose my voice for a week, it's not a big deal. So yeah, I've been, I've been trying to access that scream and it's amazing how, um, Amazing how deep that, how how it gets caught right in my throat, like how mm. deep that belief is, and how hard it is for me for that like to really raise that up. But when I do, yeah, when I do, there's a lot of there's a lot of grief under that, um, is what I'm finding, which is really interesting. Uh, but yeah, that that anger is um, learning learning how to access clean anger is probably you know one of my my greatest journeys at this moment. I know for me, when I first ever did, I was terrified of being angry too and terrified of, I, the only time I ever touched those types of emotions was on a sports field mm. uh, where that was acceptable. You could become aggressive, you know, within the rules of the sport, uh, but I'd never accessed it from a voice perspective. And then I went and did these workshops and I remember accessing rage as the guy was like doing body work on me and below the rage when I finally went to this space of exacerbation and like like was moving my body too at the same time I was being held down trying to get up and it was like this access this whole nother version of me and then I just cried 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was like, you know, the kind of cry that you're like, you feel like you've lost weight. You feel like, <laughs> you know, like totally. where you've lost weight, you've literally lost like the holding on, the grief, the like immense grief that maybe I didn't get access to because men are taught not to access grief um, or to be sad or to cry. Um, and I'm curious, was that when you talked about sadness below the anger, was it that like never really being allowed? Yeah. Um, the grief, I think I also didn't, I didn't want to touch that because it felt so painful. Um, and I've, mm. you know, there's been an accumulation of it for so long and, and having to work through it and having to push all of those emotions down that I, when I, if I, I thought that I've I accessed it, I would get lost in it. And mm. so, uh, and it's funny, I was, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago and I was asking, you know, that, that grief, that, that deep grief. In fact, we, um, our best friends just lost their, their 18 year old son, um, passed away, um, right at the beginning of this. And that grief in present time allowed me to start accessing these other pieces. And mm. within that, I, I knew though that there was still like a level, there was another level of grief that is so old that I, I'm like, how do I access that? Don't ever, I've learned to never ask how or when or how is this, how is this? I've learned it way long ago when I was writing a record. I wrote this great record. And then I was like, I wonder what's going to happen to my life. How am I going to ever write anything better than this? And then like my whole life fell apart. So I've learned that. Not to ask, <laughs> yeah, how don't this? ask how. Yeah, don't ask how. Um, so <laughs> I asked that question. I was like, how do I access this grief? And within the next day, my mom had texted me something that just triggered the shit out of me. And it made me so angry that I, I looked at Eddie, my husband, and I go, I'm going upstairs and I'm going to go upstairs in our gym and I have to scream. I just have to do it right now. And I didn't even get like half a scream out before it just turned into this cry where you feel like you've lost weight <laughs> for like 30 minutes. He had to come gym, pick me up good on the place, floor. Yeah. yeah, it is. Exactly. Um, he picked me up off the floor like 30 minutes later and I'm still like heaving. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, but yeah, it was wow. just that was it. I was like, Oh, and as I was going through it, I was able to like, as I'm here crying and freaking out, I'm so I'm witnessing it going, Oh my God, this is that, this is the grief I wanted to access. And it became like, I was almost happy as I was crying because I, I knew there was freedom on the other side of that. And so boy, did I just like lean into to crying for half an hour, like full on body cry. And it was, it was so good. It really was. Cathartic, hey? Yeah. I mean, I was so hungover from it for like a day. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, there's spaciousness. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's definitely, I think the reason, the reason that's been under there for so long is because I've been so afraid to touch it. I mean, grief and, you know, I think when you grow up with parents, one who's extremely angry and one who's extremely sad, you learn to manage those emotions within yourself because you're afraid of, of putting that upon them. And my anger definitely got met with more anger. Like if I came, you know, in the middle of a fight, um, you know, any kind of anger where I would step in and try to stop something got met with more anger. And so um, I've just learned to kind of Not safe. shy away from those. And so I'm just now coming back to actually I'm now coming back to those emotions. And now when I'm experiencing them, experiencing them, there's actually some like excitement and, and sweetness. In the feeling? In the feeling, yeah. That you're intimate with it now. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, that's really cool. Yeah. I think of like uh, watching your parents in both of those extremes makes me think of like 
seeing that they made those emotions home mm -hmm. uh, would make you not want to experience those Correct. emotions. Because if I touch these, they become me. Correct. Um, not seeing that now, uh, if you touch those, you actually feel, you know, it's like uh, tears of sadness are different chemically than tears of joy. And so that's such a, you know, there's something, there's something actually the body's doing when it's doing these things, you know, where, oh yeah, you know, cause we think we know how everything works. And, um, as, uh, I love Ram Dass, he has a line where he says, miracles are a way of reminding us that we have no clue. Mm, that's beautiful. And, right? It's so true. It's so the true. The more I learn, the more I learn and dive into the stuff, the more I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> always the student you know it's like as you were yeah. saying like you discover a layer and then you're like i did it and then it's like here's another yeah. one and you're like fuck <laughs> totally i'm curious now that you're like finding this sense of uh peace in your connection to your music again and mm -hmm. and um you're getting to know more of who you are what is the work that is sort of being desired to be born from you maybe through your music but also in conjunction with your music yeah, or, or separate from. Yeah, no. Um, so I started, I started a blog called Soul of Everly about three years, almost three years ago now. And it has, I started it without my name on it. Of course, there were, there were pictures of me on it. Um, I just wanted people to find it in their own way. And I wanted it to be a place where I could share my humanity and every all of my journey, the things I had been learning, um, kind of sharing in real time as I was learning and experiencing. Um, and it's grown and it's been this beautiful place. I mean, now it's, you know, I talk about, you know, coming into wholeness with who I am personally and, and professionally and Leanne Rhymes and now my blog have all kind of, it's all starting to come into one whole unit. And I just wanted, I knew how much I was shifting and changing and how much spaciousness and peace I was finding and I wanted to help I wanted to be a service I was uh, in that way I, I've always been a service with my music I know one of my gifts is to lead people into their back into their hearts and and into feeling deep feeling um into places where they might not have gone I've been able to do that through my music but I'm finding so many other ways to utilize my voice and being able to do that um and first doing it within myself um, you know, I mean, that's, that's really my journey is come, coming back to that, but then being able to, 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 you know, with my platform and with my voice lead to help lead people back to themselves. And so that's, that blog has been something that's been really transformative for me. And my music is starting to trans, like take its own transformation off of that blog. And what I'm now sharing is so much deeper and, um, so authentic and you know I'm, I'm writing more and more of I guess my last two albums I've pretty much co-written everything on it and and this album I'm working on a new record right now um doing yes. the same um and then I'm also working on a chant album which chanting has been something that I've loved oh, wow yes I love it so much um and it's I've through chanting it's helped me it's helped me access my voice for me for the first time. I mean, I've used my voice for everyone else. And I had a, a mentor one time say, you know, why don't you chant and sing, like just sing for yourself. You don't, you don't use your voice for you and you have such a powerful instrument for healing and you're, you're not using it for you. And so 
I started to access it in a completely different way through chanting. And then I recognized, I'm like, okay, so a chant, if I was going to teach a chant, if I was going to bring this to the stage, it would probably need to be in English because most people, anything else would be difficult to teach in the moment. So, and then I thought as I was, you know, thinking that I was thinking that I've, I really basically write chants in courses. That's what a course is. It's something that's repetitive that people, you know, sing and, and if it's inspirational, there you go, it becomes a chant. So, um, <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, I could make a chant record. So yeah, I'm working on a chant record. And that, in fact, that's what I've been really creating through this whole COVID thing. When's and that expected to come out? I'm hoping in the next few months. Um, Great. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah, thanks. And um, I'm actually working on two, a podcast. Fantastic. So, What's that called? Yeah. Um, I don't know yet. <laughs> it's now in the works. Maybe um, that can be its title. Yes. I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm working on, like I said, I'd Finding, I think I had this one idea since I did it so well as a child. I, I can sing what I do. Um, and through this journey of mine back into my wholeness, I've recognized that there are many ways to utilize my voice and to utilize my heart and and my gifts in the world that aren't just through music. And so I am uh, exploring them all at the moment. And it's, it's interesting because it's taken... Uh, it's taken a lot for me to dive into these other places and to explore. Cause I, when you do something so well from such a young age, you kind of expect yourself to do everything that well the moment you pick it up. And if you don't, then like, fuck this, I'm done. I don't um, have that curse, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I can understand why that might be true. Yeah. I mean, it, it is for me, it was at least of, I thought that that that's just, you know, that's what I do. It's, it's, and anything else that I have trouble with, I'm an only child. I'm a perfectionist. Like I, I just put it down and that has been its own journey for me of, of picking up things and just really diving in and trying them. And I, I think another piece of that too, is because people knew who I was. I, you know, it's like, you don't want to be shamed for something you're bad at. And if your your name's on it and people are watching from the moment that you begin, you, once again, it goes back to that piece of not being able to be human. Um, not being able to be a learner and um, you're supposed to be, you know, an expert um, because you're an expert at something else. So in my mind, that has been my journey. And now uh, opening up these new pathways for myself in other areas has been, it's been anxiety ridden, <laughs> anxiety ridden because of it. And also very fun um, because I'm allowing, I'm allowing more humanity in, and I'm allowing myself to learn. Um, and to experience. And that's such a beautiful gift to be able to give myself. Mm, yeah, I, I never really thought of it in the concept that there is for sure an uh, underlying expectation that you only put out things of mastery, you know, right. as opposed to uh, you get the experience of, of, of learning and being a student and uh, making mistakes and uh, improving, you know, like that, isn't that the whole, I think the line from AA is, it's about progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And that is a, um, when we don't have the gentle space to just be in progress, which is the human experience, like right. God forbid we learn and we grow and we expand and we make mistakes. And um, I'm, I hope that, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this uh, grants that same capacity to you because they have to grant it to themselves, you know, and that's. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, I, I think that 
gosh, I think we're all learning to finally grant it to ourselves. I mean, I don't think we've really grown up in a society in a world where that has been where we have freely been given the access to just to experiment. And, you know, we grew up, at least I did. And I think a lot of the world with, um, you know, you're supposed to, by the time, I mean, when kids go off to college, supposed to know what you're majoring in, that's what you're doing for the rest of your life. Like, really? You're supposed I mean, to know who to vote for. I mean, right? I that? mean, well, that's yeah. more confusing than I would not yeah, that... <laughs> Not confusing. Yeah, you're supposed to know, like, what job will you have forever? I'm sorry, yeah. what? Right. Like, I mean, there's so much, you know, we talk about, you know, you talked earlier when you said I was just following, you know, the script of, of basically life and what was put on me by getting married at 19. We're supposed to get married. We're supposed to have kids. God forbid, if I'm a woman, I've, you know, I have two stepsons that are 17 and 13, but I don't have any children of my own. So God forbid at 37, I don't have children. Oh my God, there must be something mm, wrong oh with me. Oh my Lord, what is... Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, couldn't be a reboot. choice of mine, right? No, no, um, no. No, not at all. Um, so like all the things, like all the, you know, we haven't grown up in a world that allows for, for um, us to fail and learn. We've grown up in a world that does expect perfection. And, yeah. and it's such a facade it's such bullshit. Like it's just it such bullshit. It's such a facade. And it's, yeah, it's something that I'm more and more, I guess what I am hoping to do with the platform that I have in this world is to show up more and more in my humanity so that I, I'm able to give people the permission to do the same. You know, um, I think the more we do show up in that way, the more we, the more we feel like shit and show up anyway. The, and, and truly, allow ourselves to express all the facets of ourselves in those in every moment like the more we the more we can connect and the more we can allow each other to step out of that you know um idea of perfection i'm curious uh in your experience because i'm sure anyone listening is can relate a lot to the different aspects of what you've been through not being able to access their voice for whatever reason anger perfectionism you know this hustling for worth uh, I'm curious, uh, what would you uh, tell them? Like, what is what is it that you've learned in this navigating of, of getting from where you were, like on the 500 freaking concerts by 16, I mean, to to the breakdowns, to the breakthroughs? What are, you know, like, it doesn't even matter how many number of uh, tips you've got, but what are some things that you think are like core things that um, brought you back to this sense of wholeness? Oh, wow. Not a big question, you know, just not solve all of humanity's challenges yeah, right now. Not if you at could, all. please. Yes. Um, I mean, ex- self-acceptance. I mean, self-acceptance is so core. And understanding, and this is something that I've really come back to during this time, is understanding that, isn't, isn't it Ram Dawson says, all the grist for the mill? Um, basically, it's like, it's all, it's all grist for the mill. It's all, it's all, everything from the dark and the light like it's it's one side it's it's a double-sided coin they're both sides of the same coin like everything that we are is for is it's for us it is is bringing us um to another state of consciousness and a, a higher state of consciousness it is opening us up to our humanity and our holy like it is both we are both and everything about us is sacred all of our experiences um there's nothing that we have to cut out or off of us to be whole. We have to just allow it in. And that's 
God, that's such a process. But when we finally allow it in, um, that's when real transformation happens. Mm, that surrendering. Yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> that word, hey, I know. I feel like <laughs> yeah, surrender and grace, you know? Yeah. Um, grace, grace has led me to surrender. But I've had to grant myself a lot of grace. And I think self-acceptance is, you know, just another word for, for that grace. Um, or two words for that grace. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's really, grace has allowed me into to surrender and to trust. But yeah, we really, no one's going to grant us the grace that we deserve or that we're, we're needing in order for our own transformation. That is definitely an inside job. Oh, that's so good. Because yeah, I fully agree. The grace is born from within, especially when no one can model it for you or no one has. And it's like this moment where like, hey, I'm actually worthy of this. Fuck this. I'm worthy of grace. I'm worthy of love and surrender. And that's stopping the hustle, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe COVID-19 will invite that, that, that like level of inquiry and that level of invitation. I hope so. Um yeah, I think I see, I see it. I mean, it's happening. Just how deep are we willing to go into that at this moment? And, you know, right. some people are ready and that's okay. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, we, gosh, we talk about being given this invitation to go so deep into, you know, self-inquiry. Like some people don't have, some people don't have the opportunity to do that right now. No, they don't. Um, and so that's okay. That's, I mean, if there's anything that I've told myself so many times, that's okay. Like, yes, this is where I'm at and that's okay. And I know it's one thing to tell us that and truly believe it. But when we start, if we tell ourselves that enough, I feel like we give ourselves that, that grace every time um, we need it. Uh, we can stop and allow that in, even just a small bit of it. Eventually that adds up. And eventually we start to feel that's okay. We're okay. We are worthy. And there is a big difference from it living in the mind to actually feeling it in the body. But once we do, man, life, life does shift. It really does. To be embodied. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a new one. <laughs> that's another <laughs> word that's very triggering for me. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what the fuck um, is embodied? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was talking to someone yesterday. I was like, what the fuck is spirituality? What the fuck is embodiment? I mean, after all this, you know, seven years of doing this, I'm like, I still sometimes throw up my hands and like, what the fuck is that? What is it really? Um, yeah. And as I just keep asking questions. I mean, I say not to, I say, don't ask how, but I guess I, you know, that's actually basically what I'm asking is how's that going to happen? <laughs> And, and you did get that beautiful text from your mom, you know? I did, yes. That sent and you he, to the gym. Yes. And honestly, I am so grateful for that text, even though at the moment I was just, God, I was so angry. Um, yeah, that was that was a gift, it was a true, true gift of allowing me to to surrender into uh in, into into sadness, into grief. And I think that's what we're really being asked to do right now. Um, more than anything is there's so much grief. Yeah, there's, there's a so much grief, grief that, that we've been avoiding. Yeah, we're addicted sure. to avoiding. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm curious uh, for first off, thank you for taking the time to yeah. have a conversation with me. Um, 
You're so incredibly kind and I can t- I'm can. i just so grateful that you shared the wisdom that has been cultivated through some serious heavy lifting and some yeah. serious um, uh, experiences in the public, you know? And, and so thank you for going through those things for a lot of us, oh, um, which can never really do it justice. But uh, I think, you know, the things that you're sharing today and the humanity and the authenticity and the transparency will serve uh, so many people. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I love your podcast. I've listened to it now for, for a while and um, I'm excited to be on here. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And um, I want people to find you. And now you said your yes. blog has merged with you. So yes. where do people find all the things? All the things. So leannrhymes.com and then, um, of course, on on uh, all socials, those you can find me by my name. Um, and then my blog is called Soul of Everly, E V E R L E, and um, you can find me there too, Soul of Everly dot com, and uh, all of other socials too. So yeah, I'm easy to find. <laughs> Do you have a certain post on Soul of Everly that you're like, ooh, that was a vulnerable one, and it was transformative for you? Oh God, I don't know. That's interesting because. After I write, I usually don't go back and revisit them. I don't either. That's true. I don't ever listen to a podcast either. You don't ever? No, because I had the conversation. I'm like, I don't want to let, like the, I had a couple podcasts where I cried on them and I'm like, we're just going to leave those in the past. (laughs) They were cathartic at the time. They'll serve Uh, someone else, but let's just remember, not listen to those. So I'm curious if you have like a certain, uh, one that you wrote that you were like, whoa, wow, a release or. Maybe each I one mean, is. I think each one is each one is its own thing. Um, each one's a learning experience for me too, because I'm. It's a way for me to really put into. So it's another entry into myself, I guess, of understanding my own feelings and my own thoughts and how I'm processing the information that's coming in and coming up. And uh, yeah, it's definitely each one of them is its own cathartic experience and learning experience. I mean, my songs are that way too. You know, like, God, everything, everything that comes out of me is that way. I think now when it comes to art, because of what I'm tapping into is so, it's so honest and real that um, every piece of it's cathartic. Okay. So let's just go check out your blog. So just go and check it what out. what about a piece basically. of music? Do you have a song that you're like, um, ooh, that was a heart one, like to help other people feel the sense of the heart opening that you did for it? Oh, wow. Um, I know. I'm not, I want to know these things. I'm like, I want to put that on. Oh, yes. Um, well, since, um, well, Mother's Day's coming up um, as we're recording this, um, there's a song off my last record uh, called Mother that I think any, any woman or any, any human you know, our, our mother, that, that relationship can be very challenging at times. Um, if you have, if you don't have a challenged relationship with your mother, God bless you. You are definitely, <laughs> I think the odd man out, but I bless you. Um, uh, but I, I do think it, it was a moment in time where I truly understood that my parents did the best they could. And I wrote the last record I wrote, I really wrote, um, I, I wrote, it and stepped into it. So it was almost, I read the record before I was kind of writing in real time. And this, this last album remnants, I, I wrote, and then all of a sudden would experience the thing I wrote like two weeks later and like fully stepped into it. And so 
with mother, um, I was actually really pissed off at my mom the day I wrote the song. And it was almost like I was hoping that I could feel this with her. Um, and then two weeks later, like all of a sudden I had this incredible awakening around my mother and the fact that she, how, how, like, I mean, so many layers to it, but the fact that she did the best that she could, and it was this mm. massive level of forgiveness that has now opened itself up to another layer <laughs> in my real in life now. But at the uh, time it was just, this, it was a real breakthrough of, of, um, this expansion in my heart for, for my mom. So yeah, that would be one to check out. All right, let's all go queue it up and give it up for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely.